Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. When we can accept our body the way that it is, it becomes really easy to accept somebody else's body for the way that it is. Because realistically, their body has no impact on your life. Like, can we all just sit and admit that for like two seconds? Someone else's body, a stranger on the street, their body has no impact on your life. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Kristen here. And every so often, there is a guest that I have on that I need to spend some time as we are talking, processing through and working through the powerful things that they share. And this episode is one of those episodes, friends. I am so honored to have Christina Johnson on. You might know her on Instagram as at Encouraging Dietitian to share with us some really, really important topics about health at every size, thin privilege, racial bias in the healthcare industry and in eating disorders. And, you know, as a woman who grew up white in the Northeast, I think like many of us, my eyes have been opened a lot in the last couple of months to the injustices that are going around, going on around the world, but even closer to home, you know, in ways that I know that I didn't realize just by the nature of the way I grew up. And, you know, my parents did a good job of raising us, teaching us to love other people and to not judge other people by the way that they looked. But I think I also was the person who thought that, you know, If I wasn't judging other people, then I wasn't contributing to 
the problem. But the truth is that I also wasn't doing anything to help the problem or to support people who look differently than me. And I grew up with white privilege. I grew up with thin privilege. And I've never been told that I need to lose weight in order to be healthy or that I never felt like things weren't available to me or people didn't understand me because of the way that I looked. And because of this, it means that that has been my worldview. And I really wanted to, I wanted to learn. And I really want to share it with all of you who have also been in similar positions who might not understand what things like health at every size means for women who might not understand what it means to be an ally when it comes to supporting women who look differently than us and men as well. But I work primarily with women and I speak primarily with women. Um, literally 98% of this podcast are women. Um, so that's just who I speak to throughout this episode. So Christina shared some really, really important information as well as resources with me on this episode. And she was so gracious with me in kind of processing through what she was sharing with me and rambling a little bit about my own experiences and and really just trying to come to terms with a lot of the things that I didn't know and kind of admitting to that and also being willing to to learn because I am I'm here I one of the reasons I have this podcast is because I want to invite diverse voices on to share their own both lived experience and expert experience to open up our eyes and our ears to learning more about the world around us, to learning more about ourselves and how we can help other people. And Christina talks a lot about how when we're not obsessed about our bodies and we're not obsessed about food, how we are able to have the mental bandwidth to serve people in our lives and how this doesn't need to be some huge overhaul that we're making. It's about starting exactly where we are, starting with our families as moms and moving outward from there in making changes, that it's okay to start small. But it's also okay that even if we feel like we're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing or act the wrong way, it's more important that we just say the thing. And that we just start acting and we just start taking the first step. So I appreciate her so much for being on and sharing this with us, sharing her own experience, sharing her expertise, and being gracious with me in my own processing along the way. So I think that you will find this episode incredible and eye-opening. So for those of you who don't already know Christina, Christina Johnson is a registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorders, disordered eating, and intuitive eating. She provides education on the intersections of food justice, food security, food apartheid, and racial equity. You can find her on Instagram at Encouraging Dietitian and on Twitter at EncouragingRD. And her website is EncouragingDietitian.com. And she has a podcast, Intuitive Eating for the Culture, which I've listened to several episodes of. And it's a great follow-up to the conversation that we had today. So I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation. I hope that you will learn from it and also share it with a friend who could learn from it as well. Hi, Christina. I am so excited to have you on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. We have some pretty incredible topics to cover today, but I love to start with a quick little icebreaker if you're up for it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Let's do it. So my icebreaker question is, what do you drink first thing in the morning when you wake up? 
Um, does mouthwash count? No. Um, I think the first thing I probably have been drinking recently is definitely coffee. Mm. I'm a coffee girl too. I try to have a glass of water first, but I love a good mug of coffee. (laughs) So I would love to just start with your story. So how did you get into the world of nutrition, especially as an intuitive eating counselor and a haze practitioner? Yeah. So it kind of started one with my own weird relationship with food and like wanting to learn more about food, but then also because a lot of my family has, um, chronic illness. And so I thought like, I wanted to go nutrition and be like, um, a voice for them in the field. Cause I felt like they weren't very well represented and their dietitians oftentimes didn't, weren't very respectful of the culture. And so I was like, Oh, if I go in, then I can sort of change the way that that dynamic works out. And I don't, do anything related to the chronic illnesses that my family um, lives with. But I think as I went through the schooling process, I got to grad school and kind of had this crisis where I was like, oh no, if I need to become a dietitian that has to prescribe diets, I'd rather not be a dietitian at all. Like I just, and I was like, well, I'm going to finish the degree because that's how I roll. But I was trying to figure out like, what do I do? What am I going to be able to do? And so while I got into my internship, I found like I created my Instagram and found the like Hayes community And that's where I was like, oh, okay, now I can be a dietitian. Like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It's morphed quite a bit since then. But um, I think that's really how I got into it. And it's just been this wild ride of just learning and growing and and challenging myself to keep learning and growing. And just really being able to create a community where we all get to learn and grow, I think, in a really safe space where it's not, um, no one's sort of patronizing anyone for anything. Yeah, I love that so much. And when I was going to dietitian school way back in the day, um, you know, I didn't, like I shared before, I didn't end up going to into the internship or any of that, but I certainly heard nothing about intuitive eating or health at every size that wasn't even mentioned when I was in school. And it's so incredible. I bet if it was, you know, that would have resonated with me a lot more because, you know, I had struggled with an eating disorder in late high school and early college, kind of my first year or so of school. And I was in a similar place as you going like, if I'm just going to be prescribing people diets, you know, I remember them teaching us how to count our own calories and our macros and all those things and going through it and going like, I did this for years. I don't want to teach people how to do this. It made me crazy. So it's so incredible that there is this space now where, you know, we can support women in other ways. And, you know, dietitians can support women in a much broader way um, and in a much more, I think, respectful way, you know, to, to women of different body sizes and every, every kind of woman, right? And mm-hmm. men too, right? I don't know why mm-hmm. I, I speak to women primarily, hence the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. So I refer to women a lot, but, you know, help everyone, right? So we've already talked a lot about intuitive eating here on the podcast, and that's, you know, kind of the the center of what I do and what I share. Um, and I've certainly made references to Haze, to Health at Every Size, but we haven't really had a guest come on and actually explain what the Health at Every Size movement is and what it means to be a Haze practitioner. And I think that, you know, just hearing from my own clients, I think there's a lot of confusion around what it means. And I I've heard a lot on social media lately from other practitioners who have it confused as well. So I'm wondering if you can just kind of give a general overview of what Haze is, what the movement is, and and what it really means. Yeah, so Haze uh, stands for health at every size, and that's I think a lot of times where people first get lost because they think health at 
healthy at every size. And so they add, adding that why changes the whole dynamic of the what's going on there. And so it's health at every size. And it's uh, a, like a treatment paradigm, if you will, that's more inclusive that allows people to one, define health for themselves and then to seek out health should they choose to, however they choose to do that in a way that is respectful and compassionate towards the person. Um, and so there are five points, like five principles of um, haste, which are weight inclusive, respectful care, joyful movement, health enhancement, and then eating for well-being. And so under those five principles are ways that you can, again, based on your own definition of health, because that's going to be different for someone else. Like if you are living with diabetes, how you define feeling health and like seeking health is going to be different than someone who does not live with diabetes. And so it's allowing them to define that for themselves. And then under those five principles, determine like, how do I want to be compassionate towards myself and my health journey? I like that you mentioned that a lot and you brought that, you know, chronic health condition in there too, because I think it is really important in this intuitive eating and hay space to, you know, encourage women and everyone. I keep saying women, <laughs> but that's who I'm mostly speaking to, right? That it's okay if it looks different for us than it looks for someone else. And I think there is that, you know, confusion oftentimes when we see someone who is an intuitive eating practitioner themselves or, you know, who is talking about haze and thinking that we just need to do what they do. But it really is, like you said, it's about defining health for themselves, what that means based on their own body, based on their own, you know, their own needs. Um, so I love that so much. So. I want to dig a little bit more into this health at every size side of things, right? Because I think, like you said, this is where it, a lot of the confusion comes in with people thinking it means healthy at every size. And so I think a lot of what I hear surrounding this is, well, if I gained this amount of pounds or this amount of weight, then I wouldn't be healthy. So can we talk a little bit first? I want to talk, I want to dig in to weight stigma a little bit and kind of where this idea, where the root of this idea comes from that healthier equals smaller or weight gain equals bad. And maybe just start talking about how we can break free from this mentality that we need to lose weight in order to be healthy. Yeah. So what a loaded question, but a, but a very important question. So weight stigma on the surface is the which you talked about is the concept that, um, uh, well, th like it's the concept that being thinner is healthier, right? Achieving a particular body type is healthier, um, by any means necessary is where we've made it to at this point in society, right? By any means necessary, you have to stay in that particular body size in order to be deemed quote healthy. doesn't matter what's going on internally, as long as you look good on the outside. Um, and that on the surface seems like it is just sort of individual blame towards like the person. But if we really dig into how we created that concept of health anyway, it's a very Western concept of health. Because um, if you look at other cultures around the world, they don't look at health the same way that we look at health here in America. And so once you really start to dig into it, you realize, um, and there's a book on this subject that's called um, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. And that talks a lot, a, bit, a lot about how the introduction of another body, another body type, another culture catapulted um, Europe into the idea of, okay, well, in order to distinguish ourselves from this other group of people that we think are lesser than us, we have to change the way that we look. And so it, it kind of grew from there and it became the fabric with which we built the society. 
Oh my gosh. So I will admit that I still need to read that book. I have it on my reading list for books that I would like to read. And, you know, I have so many books on my reading list that, you know, I've read health at every size. And so I have a little bit of, a little bit of knowledge on this topic, but it just, it, it blows my mind that, you know, just the fact that in our, in North America, at least, um, that we just, we were introduced a different body size and a different body type. And all of a sudden we were like, well, that's wrong. (laughs) And we all need to, we all need to kind of look this certain way. And it's interesting, you know, just even thinking of kind of my own family and what I was taught growing up and the ideals that were sort of spoken over me as a child in, in, in different ways. So my, my grandparents, my background, um, my grandfather's mom immigrated from Syria. So she's Middle Eastern and the rest of my family, they're all very European. Right. Um, and my mom and you know, her, her sister and kind of her side of the family, their body shape is just a little bit different than, their mom and kind of her side of the family. And I remember that sort of being something that was like, oh, we've got those, you know, those Syrian thighs or we've got that Syrian nose or we look this certain way. And that that was somehow, that was somehow bad. And I remember, you know, myself coming along and and my, um, my body's shape being a little bit more like my dad's, who's all European, um, and just a little bit more. And the comments that were made on me as a child, like, oh, well, you're so lucky that you look a different way or that your body is a different way. And that definitely played into me feeling like, well, then that's the goal, right? I need to maintain. I was a child, right? I'm like, I'm a little kid. I hadn't even gone through puberty. It was like, you know, our bodies are meant to change over time, but just that little bit of that, you know, oh, well, this is the good thing. This is the good way. And it's so interesting that kind of just when you mentioned that, um, and obviously I am, I am not a black woman, so I've not experienced that. And, but just that little, that little influence in my own life, which was very small and not, you know, anywhere near what many women and men go through when they're experiencing this sort of stigma. But it blows my mind because I, that I, I never knew that and that I never learned that in school. And kind of going back to that too, and going back to the fact that we have this, this terrible, this, I say terrible, but you know, this ideal that everyone needs to look a certain way. And then therefore that is what healthy means. Um, and so, you know, another, another thing that I would love to kind of talk about a little bit, um, is this idea of thin privilege, because I think that we hear a lot where we hear, I think that we hear a lot, I think because I'm also in this space as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and I support the health at every size movement. And this is still something that I only learned about in the last few years. So how does this idea of thin privilege play into this play into maybe that we are many of us, myself included, have never experienced you know, going to a doctor's office and, you know, having a doctor say to me, oh, well, you need to lose weight in order to be healthy. And I even have a health condition that men, a chronic health condition that, you know, many women who do have this chronic health condition are in bigger bodies. And, and oftentimes they are automatically taught that they need to lose weight, but I wasn't because they're like, well, you're fine. You don't need to lose weight. 
So they literally had no other answer for me and what I could do to support my health because that is the answer for most women. So can we can we talk about this a little bit? Sorry, I talked for a while there, but I want yeah. to kind of talk about how that plays into it. One that makes me so sad that your healthcare provider couldn't provide you care because the only tool they had for your, your illness is weight loss. Yeah. I'm shout out to all the doctors in the world, but also that's really lazy medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's lazy that you, your only solution, and I'm using air quotes around solution for someone's health condition is weight loss. When we actually know that that doesn't actually solve their health condition, like it's an incurable health condition. So like, yeah, that makes me really sad. So sad. I'm so sorry. And if for anyone that's listening, if you've also been in that situation yeah. where the only solution that they have for your health condition is weight loss, I'm so sorry. Like there's so many other ways that we could tackle your, your health conditions that don't involve you changing your body in a way that your body doesn't want to change. Yes. There's so many other things that we could do. Um, as far as thin privilege goes, then and I, I like to explain the concept of privilege because people think it's this thing that you choose. And it is not, right? So I did not choose the privileges that I have in this lifetime, right? I have them privileged because I am in a smaller body. I can fit in a plain seat. Nobody's yelling at me, telling me to lose weight. Although some people think I'm not a good dietitian, air quotes around that, because I don't fit that sort of thin, thinner ideal, if you will. Um, but it is the stuff that you don't think about that is an identifier for you, right? So I don't think about well, I mean, I guess I sort of think about, but I don't really think about my education being a privilege, right? Because it's just, it's what I did. I don't think about the fact that I am able-bodied as my privilege because it's just what I am. I don't, I'm not checking the box when I go somewhere. Are you able-bodied? There's no box for that, right? So if we're thinking about privilege as the thing that we don't think about that makes us, that allows us to move through the world easier, then our thin privilege is the thing that we're not thinking about because our body is not the reason that we are, that our body doesn't get in the way of us moving through the world. Case in point, going to the doctor and receiving health care that is actually health care um, or flying on a plane, right? Getting on a plane seat, using public transportation, um, finding clothes at the store um, now more than ever, but um, all of the ways that we have allowed our, our systems, our structures, um, to essentially like push out people that are in the fringes, right? Push out people that have multiple marginalizations. And so if we are looking at thin privilege in our own lives, it's more us saying like, how has the small body that I'm living in been able, has been afforded to move through this world without anyone challenging my health? Because no one's looking at me questioning whether I'm healthy or not. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So with someone, especially someone who, you know, it's interesting. I'm trying to think of a kind of how to word this question because I think it's, it's, it is different for women in bigger bodies who have been told their whole life that in order to be healthy, they need to lose weight. Then hearing something like health at every size it can go either way. It can either be that, you know, disbelief. It can be like, there's no way. I mean, I've been told my whole life that in order to be healthy, I need to lose weight. And maybe they have, maybe they've struggled with on again, off again, dieting and trying to lose weight and having an unhealthy relationship with food. Or maybe they've just, you know, gone like, well, I'll just never be healthy because I'm going to be in a bigger body. And maybe I, you know, I shouldn't bother or, you know, that's just the way it is. But then there's the other side of things, you know, where I think women in smaller bodies 
it might be easy to accept that, oh yeah, sure, you could be healthy at every size, but not really truly believe it because you've never had that experience, right, of being in in a bigger body. I've been in a slightly bigger body than I am now, but for all intents and purposes, I've been in the same size body since I was a teenager, right? And so I've never experienced that. I've, I've always had thin privilege. I've never experienced not being able to fit into a plain seat or not being able to fit into clothes at the store or anything like that. So how can accepting our own bodies, no matter what body size we are, and accepting health at every size and embracing health at every size really help us to fight for a world that does embrace diversity and body size? Because we don't see that. Yeah. Um, I, I call that our mental real estate. Um, that frees us up. If I'm not so overly concerned, obsessively concerned with my health um, in a way that distracts me from my own life, then I have all the mental space in the world to care about what other people are struggling with. Um, I look back at my own relationship with food that for a long time, I could not think about, I could barely think about my own life, let alone what somebody else had going on because I was so concerned about what was on my plate that I couldn't look up and look around and see what was going on outside of outside of my own little world. And so when we can accept our body the way that it is, it becomes really easy to accept somebody else's body for the way that it is. Because realistically, their body has no impact on your life. Like, can we all just sit and admit that for like two seconds? Someone else's body, a stranger on the street, their body has no impact on your life. You don't know them. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so true. And I know when I talk to women about, you know, the way that they speak to themselves, especially when they beat themselves up about not fitting into this certain ideal or not losing weight or not being able to stick to the diet or the plan or whatever it is. You know, I asked them if they would say those things to a friend or if a friend told them that they were failing in that way, would we think any lesser of them? And they're like, well, no, of course not. And I'm like, so why, why are you treating yourself that way? Right? So why are, and, but I think that, you know, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think about those days, you know, those, those days, really those months and years that I was obsessed, so self-focused and I wasn't thinking about the world around me. If I'm truly being honest, I wasn't thinking about the, you know, incredible injustices that are going on all over the world in so many different ways because I was like, well, I just got to get healthy so to speak, which wasn't healthy at all. And ultimately for me, ended up in me being really, really sick. And that wasn't helping me help anyone else in the world either. I mean, starting with my own family and then moving outwards. So I love that idea of mental real estate and how important that is. So I want to talk a little bit about, I know you, you've shared a little bit about your own relationship with food that has kind of transformed over the years. So how can embracing this idea of health at every size transform our relationship with food and accept eating intuitively? Like I love that you call it our birthright, right? Because it is our birthright that we were born intuitive eaters, no matter what size we are. So how can, how can this kind of transform our relationship with food? Yeah. So once we would like, truly internalize that belief because there's a difference between head knowledge of health at every size and heart knowledge of health at every size. Because I can logically say, yes, health at every size. We can all seek health at any body size, but then I can in my own self be like, but that doesn't apply to me. Right. I haven't internalized that. That's not heart knowledge at that point. So once it's heart knowledge and I can, I have access to that too, then it frees us up to really just explore food and have it be this more adventurous thing. And we're not like in the back of our minds saying, I have condition, I have unconditional permission to tell. 
right? I have unconditional permission to eat whatever until, unless I reach that particular body size and then all bets are off. Or I'm allowed to eat whatever I want when I want, unless my body, you know, and, and unless I have a, a chronic illness and then all bets are off. Now I have to completely change what I'm doing and go back to a diet. Um, Cause there's a big difference between a diet and medical nutrition therapy, huge difference. Um, so it, to me, from, from what I've seen and what I've read, it just creates this space where you're truly, like, it takes the pressure off of food, is how I like to think of it. It's just like, okay, food is food now. Food is neutral. And I'm allowed to explore it, eat it, um, choose what I do and don't like, and that's fine. And it's not this thing that's moral anymore, right? Food has no morality at that point because my body doesn't have morality. It's just a thing. It's a neutral thing. And I'm allowed to nourish it how I want. And then care about other stuff, right? I can get back to my hobbies. I can get back to my family. I can get back to caring about social justice or finding out about it for the first time. Because sometimes that happens for people as they find out about it for the first time as they're learning about the ways that diet culture impacts people. I have a question that I, I didn't ask you ahead of time, but I'm curious your answer. So how do we start moving then from that head knowledge, from the woman who's hearing this and going, okay, that makes sense. It makes sense that we can embrace health at every size, how do they start moving from that head knowledge to that heart knowledge? Um, a lot of times with my client, I do it with the more external things first before I sort of move internally. Um, so that's giving yourself a lot of permission. So giving yourself permission to buy bigger clothes, giving yourself permission to buy um, more comfortable clothes. I oftentimes talk about comfortable clothes for that tactile feeling. So if my clothing let's say it's stretchy, but it's an uncomfortable fabric. That's still not comfortable, right? So like stretchy clothing, that's comfortable fabric that you're not like constantly readjusting it all day long. You're not constantly like moving it around because you're like, oh, this is itchy. Like if once you stop thinking about the clothes on your body, it becomes really easy to like think about your body in a more neutral sense because your clothes are doing their job to fit you. I love that so much. You know, it's so funny is over the last couple of weeks, I started noticing um, that when when I work out, I wear sports bras. Um, but something that started was bugging me and has literally bugged me for years is those little that little padding that goes into wow. sports bras. And it's just so uncomfortable. And anytime I do any sort of movement, I'm like, oh, it's just I, I wish it wasn't there. And the other or it was it wasn't the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I can just pull these out. And you know, so I took them out. <laughs> I saw a post recently that was like, if you're going to make a sports bra, either you sew that cup in there or you don't put it in at all. Stop making it removable. Because think of, because I have like the one I'm literally currently wearing right now has the cup sewn in and I don't even think about it because they're sewn yeah. in, right? They're not moving. They're just part of the sports bra and I can do what I need to do. The second I have the option to like take them out, they start like shifting as I'm moving. That's yeah. not comfortable anymore. Cause I'm like, okay, like trying to readjust as I go throughout the day. Yeah, exactly. And it makes it so much less enjoyable to like just constantly, and you do it, you have that. And I noticed that I'm way more aware of my body in that way. So I just started taking them out as just, it, and it's so much fun every time I find one and I'm like, nope, taking them out because it's just so much more comfortable. And it really does just make for a way more pleasant experience. And I am all about joyful movement. So if I'm going to move, I want to love it. I mean, not every second maybe, but most of it, right? So I want it to be something that I love. So I don't want that uncomfortable feeling. And the same goes for for the rest of the rest of our lives and going. And so I, I really, really love that because I know that I'm 
I know for myself, for so many years, I tried to squeeze into sizes that were too small for me because I was so focused on the actual number. Um, And a coach I had back in the day when I was going through my own intuitive eating journey told me to just cut out all of the sizes on my clothes so I wouldn't even think about it. And eventually I forgot what the sizes were because, you know, different brands, different sizes, because that was something that was kind of a hang up for me. But the actual physical act of I am only going to choose clothes that are comfortable for me. I can see how that is just so powerful in not having that, that kind of constant focus on your body. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that so much. So I would love to dig a little bit deeper into kind of our harder topic if you're up for it. And I think you are. So I think like many of us, these past couple of months, my eyes were have certainly been opened to the injustice and misrepresentation of people of color in our country. And I think to be honest, you know, I live in the Northeast. I grew up in the Northeast and I grew up in an area that's not very diverse at all. Um, and my husband is, um, he's Asian Canadian and his mom is, his mom's family are from Japan and he grew up in rural, not rural, it's not rural, but kind of, um, suburban Ontario. And he felt this, uh, the same way where he was very, even though we grew up in very, he was kind of more Midwestern in very different places. Neither of us really had that I guess, the experience of that happening around us, you know, as much. And to be, you know, to be honest and just to really be upfront, you know, from my own position, it's definitely not been something that I have personally been as aware of as I wish I had been. And I know some of that is on myself and really just not seeking out that knowledge and really seeking out that justice for other people. And it makes me, it makes me really, really sad that I, haven't, right? And I'm sure you've heard this a lot, right? Over the last couple of months of, and I don't think that from my perspective, I don't think it's a bad thing. (laughs) Well, it's definitely not a bad thing that our eyes have been open, but now it's time to bring more awareness and to really take action. And something that I, I really, truly don't think, and even looking back to my own time in nutrition school that I realized is how underrepresented, underrepresented people of color in the intuitive eating and haze space are. As we talked about the, um, you know, the root of a lot of, you know, this bias that we have around being thin and the different body size comes from this racial bias. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit on this for women who are listening, who really don't, who are really just, their eyes are just being open to this as well. And they really you know, aren't aware of this, I think, how are we missing our black sisters and brothers in the way that we share about and practice intuitive eating and health at every size, as well as in the healthcare system? What a question. Um, I think that um, access, I think, is a really big point. So if we, we've created a bunch of systems, right? So here in North America, we've created quite a few systems that keep people out their gatekeeping systems and they don't even need to be, um, there doesn't have to be a specific person there gatekeeping anymore. They do their own, they, they're a feed forward mechanism, right? They're self propelling. They gatekeep on their own. And so when I think about, um, you know, going to school for, nu- for nutrition, right? One, you have to go to college. 
therein lies gatekeeping, being able to afford to go to college. That's gatekeeping. Um, nutrition is not a program that's offered, you know, at every single college. So you have to, depending on where you're located, you have to travel for your university. That's gatekeeping. Um, the, for, I don't know, I, I don't actually know the statistic on this, but most programs to become a dietitian, the internship, which is, uh, you know, eight, a minimum of eight months to a year of free labor, um, in which you pay them to work for free. Oddest concept I've ever heard of. Um, that is not attached to the degree, right? So at least for nursing school, if you go get your bachelor's in nursing, you're going to walk out of there ready to take your NCLEX and become a nurse. When I walk out of my bachelor's of like science and nutrition, I'm not ready to take my exam. I still need to go do an internship and then I can take my exam. Um, having to work for a minimum of eight months to a year for free, that's gatekeeping. And so you look at all the ways in which we gatekeep just in that one particular system. So then when we look at, you know, trying to become a certified intuitive eating counselor, that costs money. Trying to become, um, trying to, you know, learn about health at every size, like, how can I get there if I couldn't even get into the program because of the gatekeeping that goes on? And if I'm trying to, as a, as a lay person, right, as someone who's not a health professional, I'm going to take my health professional hat off for two seconds. If I'm just a regular person seeking services and I don't even see myself represented, why in the world would I seek out that service, right? Because that tells me it's not for me. If I look at who is a certified intuitive eating counselor, if I look at all the lovely ladies on the internet who are shouting about health at every size from the mountaintops, I don't see myself. And because I don't see myself, clearly it must not be for me. And so if we are sharing about this on the internet and we only share our body and not other people's bodies, whether it with permission, I'm going to add that part, sharing other people's bodies with permission, we are missing out on a wealth of information. Um, there's research, uh, which I recently reread again, where um, white women are, or white people in general, are statistically, have statistically the least diverse friend group of all the people on face of this earth. Where I think it's somewhere in the 90th percentile of their friends are, look just like them and come from the same socioeconomic status. And that's a really uh, homogenous group of people. That is a really like-minded uh, vacuum, if you will. There's not going to be that much challenging of our ideas if we all look alike. There's nobody to challenge my own concept of beauty if we can share the same foundation chain. Like, it's just not going to be a thing. Versus um, people of color who, by virtue of having to navigate white spaces, are automatically going to have more diverse friend groups, whether it's them having friends from their own ethnic group or friends outside of their ethnic group, just based on proximity, um, based on um, working environments or whatever. There's, we are, in a sense, forced to go kind of outside of our own comfort zone, but it ends up working out for the best anyway. And so if I'm trying to if I'm trying to do my part as a person on the internet, um, one, I'm going to do my own research. I'm not going to expect somebody to teach me about their lived experience. I'm going to go, I'm going to buy a book. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to read their blog posts. I'm going to read what they're sharing on the internet. Um, and then I'm going to ask for permission to share it, to, to share it with my friends and be like, Hey, like I'm learning X, Y, or Z things from this person. And this is something, and like admit that you're uncomfortable about it and say something. Cause I think, a lot of the conversations that I've had with people recently is being afraid to say something because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. 
And I've said time and time again, I'd rather you say something and be teachable, be correctable than to say nothing. Because when you say nothing, that tells me that you don't care and you probably side with the oppressor anyway. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that too. I'm so glad that you encouraged women to say something because I know that I know that I've been in the place where I'm like, well, I've had black friends and I'm I don't I'm not a racist. So that's fine, right? As long as as long as I'm not a racist, I'm not contributing to the problem. Um, but when we don't stand up for it, when we don't say something, when we don't actually take action, then we we're not doing anything and we're not creating any change. And just because we're just because we're not, you know, we are not acting on, you know, on being a racist or having that racial bias or anything like that doesn't mean that we we are truly taking action. I'm over here. You can see me taking notes about things that I I want to I want to share kind of later on and I want to share with with some of my friends because I mean, I I really love this idea of challenging our idea of of beauty. And even I have two daughters, right? And I really want to encourage my daughters that, you know, there are so many different, you know, there are so many, not not just there are so many different people in the world that look so many different ways and there are so many and that we are all created beautiful. You know, I believe in God and I believe that he all created us, you know, equal, but, you know, different, right? And for a reason, right? We are all beautiful in our own way because we are his creation. And I want my girls to know that and to embody that. But if they aren't, seeing that, if they're not seeing me act that out, if they're not seeing other people act that out, whether it's in our local friend group and our local community, or it's, you know, on the internet, because we, it is unfortunately 2020, but it is 2020. (laughs) And, you know, and they're going to be on the internet, right? They already watch YouTube kids and, and my kiddo is already, or my kiddo is my older daughter you know, is already, she's only, um, she'll be seven. By the time this comes out, she'll probably be seven at, at that point. And, you know, just being, you know, she's a quarter Asian. And so she looks a little bit more like her dad than she looks like me. And she already notices that she doesn't look like some of the Disney princesses. And, you know, and she's not experiencing the same, she's not experiencing any racial bias in the healthcare system or by really any, any means. She's, growing up very, very privileged. And I want her to know that. And I also, I really want them to grow up in this world that is not only the, not only is the world diverse, but that, that diversity is, um, experienced and encouraged and that there are these, and that the rights of everyone are encouraged as well, just like you're saying. And so I appreciate your take on that. And I appreciate the, you know, challenging me (laughs) in, you know, I try to diversify my friend group as much as possible. And, um, you know, it's really cool about where I live. And this is not everyone is like this at all. I live very close to a military base. And so oh, we have, I have a new set of friends like every two to four years, which is so fun. I'm a part of a couple moms groups. Um, and so it is really fun to be able to meet different women and, um, you know, in, in, you know, who have lived in different places, who are diverse in many different ways. But I know that's not true for everyone. So we do have to seek that out. And also in the space, whether we are in the intuitive eating space ourselves, in the health at every size space ourselves, or just kind of those, you know, the people who are interested in it, who are listening to this podcast, whether we're professionals or we're, they're interested in it, supporting 
all types of women and realizing that there is more out there than just that thin white woman who is, I think, oftentimes the face of intuitive eating and even the face of health at every size, which is sad and which is hard. And so I appreciate, I appreciate everything that you share in that. And I'm sorry for rambling on because I think I'm just kind of, I'm thinking all of this through as we're talking because I think, you know, you're just giving me more inspiration for ways that I need to improve myself. And, and ways I hope that we can encourage other women too. And I hope, I know that you're making other women think too, as they're listening to this as well. So what I want to talk about and something that, you know, was brought to my attention in the last couple of months and when I really thought about it, I was like, you know what, this, this is absolutely something. And I think this is a bias that I held too, to be perfectly honest. And when it comes to eating disorders and disordered eating, I think there's a notion in a lot of ways that black women simply don't struggle with eating disorders or with body image. Can you Those speak on lies. that a little bit? I know. Lies. <laughs> Such a lie. Internet. Yeah, it is. Um, that I think is like, my driving force a lot of times for the things that I do because, um, I, again, I've had my own really jacked up relationship with food and I've watched other people that I know and love have really just crappy relationships with relationships with food. And I, because I work with eating disorders, half of my practice is eating disorders. Um, I, I've, and I've, had previous experience working in the eating disorder treatment facility. And I felt like a sore thumb being the only obvious person of color in that situation, even though there were other people of color, they just passed for white. So nobody questioned it. Right. But I'm the very obvious, like you can't miss the fact that I'm black. And so being in that environment and watching these clients come in and leave and watching them for the first time, or maybe, you know, for like, not sometimes for some of them, it wasn't the first time, but for some of them, it was genuinely the first time that they had been in a higher level of care and felt like someone could relate to their experience. Even if I can't relate to their eating disorder experience, I can relate to their lived experience. And for them, that was this very grounding piece. And so when I think about the literature around eating disorders is almost like we, it's 2020 and we finally, finally just got a book on treating black women with eating disorders. Wow. And it, thank goodness it was written by black women, but like, or black people, but still like it's 2020. We have how many books on treating eating disorders? And we just got the first one about black women. And if you look at treatment facilities around the country, right, whether you're looking at the treatment team, the team's all white, or maybe the secretary's black, or maybe the nurse is black, but not the therapist and definitely not the dietitian. If I'm seeking care for my eating disorder and I come to your treatment facility and you can't even help me reintegrate the food that I would normally eat with my family. You're not helping me to the best of your ability, or maybe you are helping me to the best of your ability, but not to the point that I need. Mm. And that for me is the reason why I keep doing what I do because I want to make sure that by the time I retire, we don't have to fig- try to figure out how to incorporate these foods that are part of people's culture because we all can just figure it out. We can all figure out like, this is how you incorporate this. This is how you can sit at this table with your family and pick these things up and put them on your plate. And they're a part of your meal plan and you'll be just fine. Your culture is not wrong for choosing these foods. You will be just fine. Like this is a beautiful expression of your culture. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, you know, 
I remember just thinking back to my own nutrition education, which was quite a long time ago now, you know, we're we're looking back 12 years and we were really only taught about the foods that were locally kind of available to us. We weren't taught about other cultures and I didn't start learning about food from different cultures until I went to culinary school and actively sought it out. And you know what? It wasn't even during, it wasn't even my actual culinary school training that taught me that. We had a day in school where we were supposed to bring in food from our family's culture. And I can't even remember what I brought in. There was um, a Pakistani man who brought in this incredible spread of food. Like it was enough to feed like 30 people. And I think there were like 10 or 12 of us. I went to a really small private culinary school up in Toronto. And there was a gentleman who was from Tobago, from the island of Tobago, um, Trinidad and Tobago. And he brought some, oh my gosh, I had never tasted food like that or spices like that before. And it was just so incredible. Just And there was, you know, four or five other people who brought in these these different foods that I had never tried before. And actually really living in Toronto, living in a larger city, growing up in a small town in the Northeast was the first time I was ex- I experienced so many, so much diversity in food. I had never tried Ethiopian food before. I had never tried Persian food before. I had never tried Korean food before. But I had to actively seek that out. And I think, you know, if I was, you know, someone in who was a dietitian or someone in the health space, I wouldn't have known about those types of foods if I hadn't actually experienced that and actually sought that out myself. I wouldn't have known the ingredients in the food or what the foods might taste like or the different flavor profiles or being able to suggest those things when you know you're talking about satisfying foods or, you know, you know, creating a balanced plate if you're someone who had an eating disorder and needs that. So I can very much see just from my own, just bringing in my own personal perspective not having that diversity in your life or having that knowledge would make it so difficult to work with people who come from from different cultures like that. So I think it really is on the, I mean, the practitioners, if they weren't taught that within their education, but also it's a failing of the education system too for really not, <laughs> really it's, not, yeah, really representing yeah, it's Any a failure on the education system to make uh, diversity an elective, mm. right? Because diversity is not an elective. My blackness is not an elective. It's not like yes. I just get to like choose like, okay, today I'm going to be black. Like, no, I'm black every day. Yes. And so making cultural competence an elective and not baked into the entire degree as we go through so that no matter what you're learning, you're learning culturally competent, culturally humil- um, humble medical nutrition therapy, you're learning culturally competent food science, right? Like, um, only I like really recently as a part of, you know, COVID-19 and like sheltering in place, I've been like, you know what, I can't, I can't travel right now. So I'm going to bring the world to me. So my new thing has been like trying all these different cuisines from around the world, Mm. but like, that's me making the active choice there. And that, I mean, that's fine. But like, what if I had been able to learn about that in school? What if we had like had that baked all the way through? So like, it's not, you know, a new thing to me to try Jamaican food. It's just like, I'm getting Jamaican food because I like Jamaican food. Like mm-hmm. I just want some, some, whatever it is that I'm choosing. I just, it makes me sad, but also hopeful um, that we are able to shift academia so that academia actually represents the people and not the people trying to represent academia. Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And I... 
I think that, yeah, the more voices that we have and the more we have people standing up and saying, we need to learn more about this because there is a more diverse group of people who are experiencing these issues or just in general, even when we're not talking about eating disorders, who need help with their nutrition and knowing what it looks like to find a balance for them and their family, whatever their situation is. If we don't know what to tell them, then we are not going to give them the right advice. And so I think that it is so huge that we actively stand up for, for this diversity in every area, including food, which isn't something that I would have, I would have thought of, you know, until, you know, you're really, you're sharing that even just from the food side of things. that we wouldn't, we wouldn't really know. And so I appreciate that so much. So I'm just sort of thinking and, and kind of pondering what else I, I really want to dig in with you a little bit. Um, because there's so much more, <laughs> so much more that we could talk about when it comes to this. So I'm wondering if you have any any last words of, and we're not quite at the end yet, but any words of encouragement that you want to share with my listeners who might be who might be new to hearing this and who might be realizing now that oh my gosh I didn't realize that there was such a lack in the diversity when it comes to healthcare in the diversity when it comes to the nutrition world. Or, you know, the fact that, hey, maybe they are realizing that when they look at a hashtag intuitive eating on Instagram, it is 99% white women representing intuitive eating, myself included, right? So do you have words of encouragement or maybe some action steps for the woman listening who is like, okay, I've got to start making some changes? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first thing I'm going to tell people is to give yourself some grace, right? It's a learning process. Um, we don't, we're not, it's, and it's not somewhere we arrive. So we got to give ourselves grace for the fact that we're never going to arrive to that place. Um, and then I always suggest following people from a completely different walk of life than you and learning about their lived experience. So, um, whether that's following people of color, that's following disabled people, that's following people with a different gender identity, like something that their, their marginalizations, their identities don't align with your own so that you can learn about their lived experience and love your neighbor, right? Like, I'm all for loving my neighbor and I don't get to decide who's my neighbor, right? Like we know, I don't get to decide who's my neighbor. The whole world is my neighbor if I can touch them, right? And if we're on the internet, that makes the whole world your neighbor. You can touch them through the internet. And so it's, it's being gentle with yourself and being graceful with yourself and then really just sitting and learning and then trying it out and then figuring out, okay, this worked or maybe that didn't and being teachable, being correctable of like, okay, because we're not all going to get it right. Like I've done things and I'm like, ooh, maybe that wasn't quite the right thing to say. Or "Mm, I think I maybe would have, you know, done something differently here. But knowing, again, I'm not going to arrive somewhere. It's just that constant learning and that constant growing. And knowing that even if you never, let's say you never have, you know, 20 or 30,000 followers on Instagram, that doesn't mean that you can't uh, change uh, people's perspective. I, it's, it's called your sphere of influence. And so you're technically your sphere of influence is not the internet. Um, unless you actually have a large uh, following of people, your sphere of influence are the people that you live your life with every day. That's your, your family members, that's your kids, that's your, um, the people that you go to work with, the people that you're in class with, that's your actual sphere of influence. And just by you radically accepting yourself and then 
advocating for other people, even if it's just you saying like, cause I'm learning a lot about disability advocacy right now. So it's me saying like, where's the elevator? Right. I didn't do anything quote profound, but me just saying, where's the elevator? like that lets that person in that disabled body that needs a mobility aid or needs assistance getting from one floor to the other, that lets them know that they matter, that you can see them and you can see that they have, uh, they move through the world differently. Yes. I'm glad that you mentioned that sphere of influence too, being right. Starting in our, in our families too, because I know that the majority of the women listening or the majority of the people listening are women and the majority of the women listening are moms. And that's where you start, right? You start with your kids and you start by being that example for your kids and then teaching your kids and then moving on from there. And I don't think, I think my, my parents are both wonderful humans and I love them so much. And, you know, we've, I've talked to my mom a lot about, you know, kind of my own relationship with food and my body and kind of working through all of that. Um, And I don't think my parents did anything necessarily to, I don't know, to make me think in a certain way or not, you know, in terms of diversity. it, It just, it wasn't really talked about. It wasn't like there was no judgment or anything like that of, of other people. In fact, we were, we were, you know, as far as I was, as I'm concerned, we're accepting of all people, but there was no, but you can also take action for them and you can also diversify your friend group. You can diversify what you look at online, the books that you read. And, you know, so I think we just starting right where we are and not feeling like we need to do it all at once or influence this large group of people. We can start right where we are. So Oh my gosh, so good. We've talked about so much. Oh my goodness. You know, we talked about haze and haze and intuitive eating and privilege and bias. And I'm wondering if you have some really good resources. I know you mentioned um, the Fearing the Black Body book, which is one that I know I need to pick up and I know I need to read. Um, now that I'm finished the last couple of books I was reading, I know that's going to be on on my list as well. Do you have any other good resources when it comes to health at every size when it comes to bias in the healthcare industry that you want to recommend? Um, for health at every size, I always recommend that the book health at every size by Linda Bacon. Uh, well, Linda Bacon, formerly Linda Bacon. Um, I think that that's a great start. Um, and then as far as there's a book that I like off the top of my head, can't think of, but I can send it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is about, uh, racism in healthcare. And that one was like, it's on my list to read, but from what I've gathered so far, it's quite mind blowing. Um, and I just, I have a bunch of like, I'm a really like nerdy nerd and I'm very comfortable and content with my nerdy nerdness. I'm like, if you need like research articles, I've got plenty. (laughs) That's what I spend my time reading is research articles. But, um, yeah, that definitely those two books are the top ones that I always recommend for that. Um, I think the body is not an apology is also a great one about, um, body image and our, our ability to kind of like take ourselves out of our own body image and be very respectful towards ourselves. Oh, and hood feminism. That's the other one that I'm reading that I think is going to be a great one. I have not heard of that one. Yes. That one is, um, feminism, but from a more inclusive and more, um, uh, more inclusive standpoint. So it's her looking at the ways that mainstream feminism has left out uh, more marginalized people and how you include them in your feminism. That way we can advocate for all people and not just some of the people. 
Mm, that's so good. Oh, thank you for those. I am definitely going to, I'm going to put all of those in the show notes and I'll have them come to you if they want more research studies. Cause I'm all about the research too. When I did the intuitive eating counselor training, I was so excited to see how many research studies there were. And they're like, all right, let's dig in. <laughs> I'm going to grab my highlighter and learn so much that I hadn't learned before. So I know there's definitely people who are going to resonate more with the research and some people are going to resonate more, um, you know, with, with books, but I think just hearing this and being willing to listen this far to this episode is a great first step in learning more about diversity in so many different areas, especially when it comes to eating and intuitive eating and, and healthcare. So I appreciate your time so much and everything that you've shared. Thank you. You're so, welcome. Yeah. So can you, can we just, um, can you just share where my listeners can best connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me on the internet. I am on Instagram at Encouraging Dietitian, like spell it all the way up. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter. That's my snarkier side, my more like sassy 240 characters or less side. Um, and that's at Encouraging RD. And then I also have my own podcast, Intuitive Eating for the Culture. Yes. And your podcast is so great. The episodes are, most of them are short and sweet and really powerful. So they are awesome. I've listened to quite a few of them. So I have three final rapid fire questions that I love to ask because I love to celebrate food and eating in a way that is fun and joyful. So my first question is, what is your favorite thing to cook? Currently potatoes. Mm. <laughs> what is your favorite way to cook potatoes? I'm curious. Mm, a baked potato has really been my jam now for the past like month. Mm. And then I just bought a cast iron skillet. So I'm trying to get my like southern southernness southernness on if you will um and so i've been like making a lot of uh like scrambles with like mm -hmm. while like saute the potatoes add some like peppers and onions and kale some eggs it's a good time that sounds really good i love my cast iron skillet it's so good it makes everything crispy and delicious <laughs> mm -hmm. so what is your favorite thing to order or eat if you happen to be going out to a restaurant i mean i guess if we're allowed these days <laughs> Right. Um, I think my favorite thing to order usually is fries or, um, yeah, it's probably fries. I think if I'm ordering anything, I like, I joked that I was going to have a French fry bar at my wedding. If I were to invite <laughs> people to my wedding, it would be a French fry bar. I love that. That sounds like such a fun idea. <laughs> I would totally come for a French fry bar. <laughs> Make your own thoughts. Ooh, ooh I like that. I'm already married, so I guess I can't switch up my wedding plans, but I like that. My husband would love that too. <laughs> oh, it was so fun. So my last question, um, because we are the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast, and I really love sharing about, like I said, you know, food in a way that is joyful, but also balanced. So food and life balance in, in every area. What does your beautiful balance mean to you? To me, that is nourishing myself in a way that's compassionate towards myself to allow me to be compassionate towards others. Oh my goodness. So good. What a perfect place to end. <laughs> Thank you, Christina, again, so much for being on. This was a fantastic conversation. I probably could have talked to you for hours more. And I think I say that with every single guest because I truly could. <laughs> I think I am, I'm very appreciative of all the guests that I have on because um, for the most part, I, I handpick my guests because I love what they're doing in the world. So I very much appreciate everything you're doing in the world and spending time with me today. You're welcome. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.